As we continue to worship this morning, I would invite you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27. Uh, We've been in the book of Deuteronomy for several months now, and we'll be wrapping it up here uh, this fall. Uh, We've seen how the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament points us to Jesus. We see that all of Scripture uh, leads us to Christ. Uh, Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament's expectations, uh, legal demands, and prophetic expectations. And so as we look at Deuteronomy 27 today, it's my hope and prayer that we will see how this causes you and I to lean into Jesus this morning. Um, So as we turn there, uh, Deuteronomy 27, let me pray uh, and we'll get started uh, in God's word this morning. Father God in heaven, you are indeed a good and holy God, and we thank you for your goodness to your people throughout all generations. Lord, we thank you for the great privilege and joy it is to gather as your people here this morning, to gather together, God, as believers, as seekers, as doubters, as skeptics, non-believers, and God, I pray that you would meet us where we are by your Holy Spirit, that you would open our minds to understand your scriptures, that you would open our hearts to receive the good news of Jesus Christ, and that by your Spirit you would uh, change us, that you would mark us as your people and shape us to be more like your son Jesus. And we ask that you do this for your glory and our joy, and that the good news of Christ would advance from our lives out to the nations. We ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 27, the first 10 verses say this. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over and enter the land that the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offering. And you shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. This is God's word. Friends, the good news for us is that in Christ we have a new identity. And this new identity fuels obedient action that honors God, brings us joy, and proclaims and displays the goodness of Christ to those around us. Who or what influences who you are? I want to ask you that this morning. Like if, if we were meeting for the first time at a party or at, after church, it's very common to say, hey, what's your name and uh, what do you do? And then usually we kind of meander around and we start talking about things in our lives that we find our identities in. It'd be very common for me to say, hi, my name's Jeremy. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I play guitar. Whatever. What is it in your life that you 
find your identity in. I mean, it's, it could be your job. It could be a relationship you have. It could be maybe a family line you come from or maybe a tradition you grew up in. Maybe something you're known for that could be very good. It could be a very good thing. You could be, I don't know all of you, maybe very renowned in your field and that's a good thing. See, what happens is often we have things in our lives that are good, but they're typically roles that we serve in, but we end up finding our identities there. And in so doing, we do whatever it takes to kind of fuel that identity. You see, wherever you find your identity is what is going to fuel your action. So therefore, if you find your identity in having like large sums of money, you are going to do whatever it takes to continue to have large sums of money so that your identity will be secure. Or if you find your identity in fame or status or some sort of hierarchy, whether it's politically or business or entertainment, whatever it may be, if you find your identity there, it will fuel everything you do because you want to maintain that. You don't want to lose your identity, so to speak. Now, again, I say these can be good things, but if we make them ultimate things, it can kind of make us wayward and lose focus of who we are in Christ and how we are to live. On the flip side... I mean, that's, that's if we find our identity in a false area. But on the flip side, it's very common in our culture, in the southern overchurched culture, to find our identity maybe in, in Christ, but we forget how we have that identity. Meaning, you could say, you know what, I believe Jesus, I want to be a Christian, so in order to be that, I need to do X, Y, and Z. If I can uh, do these things, maybe then I'll be secure in my identity as a Christian. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe you say, if I can go to church enough, then I will be secure in my identity as one of God's children. If I could read my Bible enough, then I will have secure identity here. Or maybe if I can get in with this specific tradition or this specific religious practice, or if I could be a good moral person or acquire this good theological or philosophical knowledge, maybe then I will be secure as God's child. Friends, both of those things are devoid of the gospel. If you find your identity somewhere other than Christ... There's no gospel in that. If you see your identity in Christ, but think it's something you do to get your way secure with the Lord, there's no gospel in that. And that is very common in the day and age in which we live, in the culture in which we live, to say, you know what, I want to be right with God, so therefore I must do X, Y, and Z in order for him to love me, in order for him to accept me, in order for me to become a child of God. I have to do these things, otherwise I won't be his. Now, friends, I want us to assess our hearts as we do every Sunday and figure out where are you in the spectrum. Are you first and foremost finding your identity somewhere else other than in Christ? And if you are, I want us to look at Scripture and repent of those things and believe the gospel today. If you're finding your identity in your status or money or relationship or some sort of anything other than Christ, I want us to confess that and lean into Jesus this morning. Secondly, if you know about the gospel and you know about Jesus, but you're finding your identity in the awesome spiritual resume you have, thinking that's securing your identity in Christ, I want us to confess that because that's sin and there's no gospel in that. Now hang with me because there's so much good news I want us to see here today. Because the gospel of Jesus is that in Christ, our identity is secured before God. Therefore, we obey. You with me? 
We do not obey the law of God in order to become God's people, but rather God says, you are my child, therefore obey. And we see that as the resounding theme in the book of Deuteronomy as God is saying, I am saving you as my children. He's speaking to Israel who was in bondage in Egypt, that were enslaved in Egypt for many generations. They, they were oppressed and God set them free. He says, look, you are my people. I am your God. I am your father. I am your king. You are my people, my children. I am going to set you free. You don't have to do anything for me to set you free. I'm just going to set you free and lead you to a land that I'm promising, that I've promised your forefathers. Oh, yes. And as you were going to that land that I am freely giving you because I have rescued you because I'm your God and you are my people, because of that, I want you to obey. God did not give Israel the Ten Commandments and then set them free. He set them free and was leading them to a land of promise and then gave them the law. And this leads us to Jesus today. I want us to read verse 8 through 10 again. It says this, You shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. So first I want us to see where we're going today, is we're going to look and see the relationship between identity and obedience It is not obey so that you secure your identity, but rather look at the identity that is secured by Christ for you before God. Therefore, live differently. Therefore, obey the commands of the Lord. I want us to see what this means for us today. So first, I want us to see this. Identity is an issue of the heart. It's a process of holiness, and it's based on the promise of God. Okay, Identity is first an issue of the heart. It's a process of growing in holiness. And it's based on the promise of God. You see here, Israel had just been set free. They've been going through the wilderness for a couple decades before they finally get to the land that God had promised them. And if you read the Old Testament account, there were times where, where Israel was saying, we'd rather go back to Egypt I mean, we could go back to Egypt. I mean, the work was hard. I mean, we were enslaved, but at least there we had good food. There was a way for them to find their identity in the past that they had. But also there are instances of Israel going through the desert, encountering other cultures, saying, you know what? We want our culture to be like theirs. We wish we had a king like that culture did. We wish we had civil laws similar to that culture over there. You know, we should just worship the gods of that culture because it seems to work fine for them. You see, Israel wrestled with identity stuff, looking back to their past and bondage for identity. They were also looking at the cultures around them in the present to maybe find their identity in. And God says, no, 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 you are my people. I am your God. And this is a matter of the heart. Verse 8 is a very neat verse. Okay? I, I didn't realize what all was in this verse until I just camped out on it this week. It says, you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Now, the word plainly here in Hebrew can, can literally mean to, to do good. It means write on the stones to do good. And it's actually a ceremonial metaphor for engraving the truth of God on people's hearts. 
Anytime you look in the Old Testament and you see anything about writing the law of God on stone, this metaphor is picked up on time and time again by the prophets in the Old Testament so that writing plainly on stones is a ceremonial metaphor to do good by God on your heart. It's God's truth being engraved on the human heart. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel says this, Speaking on behalf of the Lord, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. You see, the prophet Ezekiel and other prophets pick up on there the issue of the heart, having the words of God plainly engraved on stones as a ceremonial metaphor for God engraving his truth of the gospel on the hearts of his people. You see, identity is first a mark of the human heart that God does for his people. It's an issue of the heart. If your heart's affection is towards something or someone else other than God, you are finding your identity there. It could be a good thing, but it could be something that you've made ultimate. If you find your ultimate identity in your job, your heart is there and not with the Lord. If you find your ultimate identity in the person that you are dating or the person even that you hope to marry, it could be a good thing. But if you find your ultimate identity there, it will draw you further from God. I've learned this in 10 years of marriage. My role in the life of my family is to be a husband and a father. I love being a family man. It is the greatest thing ever in my life. But you know what? It's not my identity. It's a role that I serve. My identity is a child of God secured in Christ, and by his grace, that good identity will be fleshed out as a husband and as a father. Because if I find my identity wrapped up in you know, my marriage, if, if marriage gets a little tough, then all of a sudden, everything falls apart. And if I find my identity in my children, then all of a sudden when they rebel or do something wrong, I just come unraveled, right? So finding my identity secured in Christ before the Lord and a role in which I serve is to be a husband and a father and a pastor and whatever else. So what is that for you? Because identity is first and foremost a matter of the heart. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 8, for this is the covenant that I shall make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So friends, I want us to know this first and foremost, that in Christ Jesus, our identity is not based on who you are and what you've done but rather who Christ is and what he's done for you. That through Jesus, our identity, our hearts have been shaped and changed. Through Christ, the laws, the truth of God is engraved on our hearts where God can say to us, I am your God, you are my people, and this is good news for us. But secondly, identity is first about a matter of the heart, but secondly, identity is actually a process of growing in holiness. It's one of my favorite topics to study theologically is what it means to be holy because the scriptures say all, all the time when you, when you see holiness in the Bible, it can sometimes mean like a positional holiness, like God says, you are holy. 
you are a holy person or a holy object. It comes from uh, this understanding in the Old Testament of like the, in the temple, there were objects that were set apart for God's purposes, for purposes of worship, and they, they were to be holy objects. And so priests would go in and say, this bowl has been declared to be a holy bowl. Its, its identity is holy, right? But holy is also a process. There was a process in which that bowl would be washed a process in which it would be used, a process in which it would be ceremonially cleansed and, and, and used and then set apart once again. You see, holiness is an ongoing process as well as a position before God. And, and this is throughout the Old Testament as well. And look what Moses says here in verse 10. You shall therefore obey Wait, I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 9. It says, Keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day. You have become the people of the Lord your God. Notice he doesn't say, you are. He says, you have become. You see, this is a process of growing in holiness that is wrapped up in our identity in Christ. You know, if you become a Christian, if you're like, you know, I'm not a Christian, and like today you say, you know what, I believe the Holy Spirit has caused me to believe I want to accept Christ, I want to be a Christian. You know what? You will walk out this door being a Christian for five minutes and you will find yourself tempted with the same sin. You will find yourself struggling with the same struggles. You can find yourself still being angry at bad drivers. That's my vice. You could find yourself dealing with some of the same things and thinking, you know what? I thought being a Christian would solve all of my struggles, all of my problems. Friends, being God's child is an identity that is secured for you in Christ, but it's also a process in which you grow in holiness. That's why Moses says here, keep silence and hear, O Israel. First of all, that's huge. He says, hear, O Israel. Israel is the name God gave to his people. So he's saying, hey, keep silence and hear God's people. Your identity is God's people. You are Israel. God gave you that name. You are God's people. Keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day you have become. You see the difference? It's a good difference. It's showing in one sentence two different perspectives of what God is doing to identify his people. First, it's a positional identification. You are Israel and you have become there is a process as Israel that God has drawn you through. You were God's people when you were in bondage. You were God's people when he freed you. You have been God's people for decades as you've gone through this wilderness. And as you are settling in the land God has given you, you are God's people. But that whole process is you not only being God's people, but becoming God's people. You with me? We must never forget that. I have seen huge divisions amongst Christians because people's holiness grows at different rates. Some of you maybe have been Christians for a long time, and by God's grace, you were living in holiness, you were excelling, you were defeating sin, and things are going very well for you. And you may know somebody else who's been a Christian for a couple years, and man, they're just blowing it constantly. You're like, man, that person's a Christian, but dude, he got plastered yesterday. He's still struggling with sin. He dropped the F-bomb. Fantastic. That's what F is. Fantastic. He said fantastic. You, probably, you may be saying, this guy should not be preaching. He just said the word F-bomb. 
That may be where you are. That's fine. People's holiness grows at different rates. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying his people the way he sees fit. There is a role of obedience in that. We're going to get to that. But we have to know that sanctification is a process of becoming through rhythms of repentance and belief. I love talking about sanctification. It's a huge mystery to me how come I've been a Christian for 30 years and I'm not further along in my faith than I think I should be. I'm just trusting that God is sanctifying me differently maybe than someone else. See, identity is a matter of the heart when God says, these are my people, I am taking my truth and my law and I'm going to put it on their hearts. Identity is a matter of the heart. Identity is also a process of growing in holiness. I will say this, if you are not growing in holiness, then that's, you're missing a mark of identity as a Christian. So, so there is a process of growth that happens of becoming, fleshing out, growing in holiness as God's people through rhythms of repentance, turning from sin, turning from idols, and belief, trusting who God is and what he said he would do. Paul writes in Titus 2.13 that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works, our identity secured in Christ. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Such a huge, profound truth of the gospel of Jesus from the Apostle Peter. Thirdly, I want us to see this, that identity is first a matter of the heart. Secondly, it's a process of growing in holiness. Sanctification is that word. Thirdly, it's based on God's promises. That's why even in verse 3, it says very clearly, you shall write them all the words of this law when you cross over and enter the land that the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised. Friends, God makes good on his promises. Our identity is secure, not in the promises of man, but the promises of God. God makes good on his promises. If you read the scriptures, if you read the Bible, it is the word of God. It is God's truth inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you understand it, it's because the Holy Spirit is illuminating your understanding. If you obey it, it's because the Holy Spirit is empowering your obedience. If you want to know what God has promised to do, read the scriptures. And tonight when you go home and you're struggling with sin and you say, I don't know if I'm a Christian because I'm still struggling, you look back and say, look what God has promised he would do to your heart. He has promised to mark you as his in Christ. If you are struggling tomorrow with sin or struggles and you're like, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm growing in holiness, you look and say, look, God has promised not only that he has marked me as his in Christ, but that I will grow in holiness to become more like Jesus, even though I'm failing in this moment. And you can trust that promise of God. And if you start doubting the promises of God, look in the Bible and see that God promises he makes good on his promises. And that's good news for you and I. So what does this mean for us? We're like, okay, Jeremy, I get it. Identity is a matter of the heart. Identity means we're growing in holiness and sanctification. Identity is based on the promises of God. Now what? Out of identity flows life, action, obedience. Not the other way around. I would never expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian. We're not in the process of making people be posers. We want people to know Jesus. We want Jesus to change them by his Holy Spirit. Out of identity flows 
obedience. Can I tell you a story real quick? Let's take a break from the Bible. Three minutes. When I was in college, I was a guitar major. Guitar is awesome. Don't major in it. Because you can wait tables at the pizza joint without that degree. That's what I did before and after. After I got my master's too. Thank you, Lord, for pizza. When I graduated college with my music degree, I had this horrible, just cheap guitar. And I started having more opportunities to play in bands and to lead worship at camps and retreats and churches. And one day my dad and I were hanging out. It was was before I was married. I didn't have my hot wife to hang out with. And I just was lonely and just hanging out. My dad's like, hey, let's go hang out. And so we went to a music store and we were looking at guitars. And there was this one guitar I had my eye on. I wanted to buy it, but it'd take me like a couple doubles at the pizza joint to save money to make enough to buy this. It was, you know, about a grand for this guitar, I think. It was pretty awesome. And so my dad knew I had my eye on this guitar, and he was seeing his friend that, that works at this music store, and they were just chatting, and I was over there playing the guitar, and my dad said, yeah, we'll take it, wrap it up. I was like, what? My dad's like, yeah, I want to buy this. I want to buy this guitar for you. I mean, this was like July. It was like random. There's no holiday. I was like, my birthday's in December, right before Christmas. It could have been a great double gift, birthday, Christmas. My dad just said, look, I just I want to buy this guitar for you. I was like, why? He's like, because you're my son, and I love you. Man, I still have that guitar. I play that thing all the time. What a huge blessing that was, right? I didn't have to do anything to earn that guitar. My dad bought that guitar as a gift to me. And I said, why? And he says, because you're my son and I love you. Now with that guitar, son, I expect you to play it. I expect you to use it. I expect you to make great music for the glory of God. I want you to play music at churches like you want to do. I want you to play music at retreats and camps and conferences. I want you to play great music for the glory of God. You see, he bought the guitar out of his love as my father to a son. But with that gift came the responsibility to use it wisely, right? Now, just a little aside caveat, the next year I was playing at a conference for Campus Outreach in Orlando, Florida, and I met my wife. Hmm? Praise the Lord. (laughs) I had that guitar that my father bought for me, which got me a job playing at a conference that ended up introducing me to my wife, who was working in kids' ministry, so I can embarrass her all I want right now. All that to say, friends, in the same way, our identity is a work of God secured in Christ. Do you know that God is looking down saying that because of Jesus, you are my son and I love you. Because of Jesus, you are my daughter and I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to entrust you some grace to walk out with your life. But I don't want you to squander it. I don't want you to abuse it. I don't want you to use this gift for your own personal gain, but use it for my glory and your joy and for the good of others. That's what obedience is. Obedience is the guitar, so to speak, that the God, that the God our Father is giving us and says, I want you to use this for my glory and your joy and for the good of others. So we see here in the Old Testament, and it points us to Jesus, that obedience is an act of worship, it's an act of rejoicing, it's an act of remembrance, it's an act that honors God, brings us joy, and serves others. Obedience is not a condition of 
the covenant relationship with God, but it's an outcome of it. It's motivated by grace. It's motivated by gratitude to God for who he is and what he's done. Look at verses 6 through 8. I know we were reading this, and you're like, what is talking about setting up? Let's just read it because it does. It says, You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall sacrifice peace offerings, and you shall eat there. All right, so, so they're instructing cultural worship. These are things that we don't have to do verbatim exactly, but culturally in their day, this was how they were worshiping God. This was an act of worship. It was an act of remembrance. It was an act of rejoicing. It was a unique act of worship to the cultures around them. It was very distinct for them as God's people. You see, part of our obedience is worship. If you want to worship God, obey. It's worship. And if you want to obey God, worship. I love this too. It says, you shall eat there. You can, amen, you shall eat. Yes, you shall eat there. You see, there's so much eating in the Bible. And sometimes it's ceremonial eating. Like we will have the Lord's Supper to celebrate here in a few minutes as part of worship. And that's in the Old Testament as well, there are ceremonial feasts and ceremonial times of eating, but, but sometimes eating is just eating. It's just, the sandwich is awesome. God, thank you for the sandwich. Thank you for supplying the need for my body that's tasty and is nourishing. Thank you that I can have a table of friends and family to sit with. It's fellowship. That's, just eating is worshipful. I mean, it, it can be. It can be abused, but it can be worshipful, Right? You shall eat there and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Have any joy? Have joy before the Lord for who he is and what he's done? You shall rejoice. Verse 9, keep silence and hear. That word hear is huge there. It's not just how you hear that. It is an intent listening and reflective remembering. So when Moses is saying, all right, all right, we want you to worship the Lord. We want you to eat. We want you to rejoice. This is all part of obedience. All right, we want you to, to hear. We want you to listen intently. We want you to listen with reflective remembrance of who God is and what he's done. Because in your obedience, you are remembering who the Lord is and what he's done. In your obedience, you are remembering who you are because of Christ and how you are to live. Every time I play that guitar, I think of my father. Every time. Every time I pick up my guitar and play songs to my children, I think how much my father loves me. Every time I pick up that guitar. In the same way, anytime you obey the word of the Lord, anytime you live out your obedience, even if you, you do it clumsily and you mess up, anytime you do that, you are remembering the Lord in gratitude and grace and remembering that you are a loved child of God in Christ. You see, obeying the commands of the Lord are not, are not burdensome things. Like, you should do them out of fear of the wrath of God. They're not to be done out of pride. Like, look how awesome I am keeping the commandments of the Lord better than you. No, they are to be reflective acts of gratitude. Like, God, thank you. Thank you that I'm seeing progress in my holiness by defeating sin and loving my neighbors and serving the church and being generous over here and fighting against cultural idols in our city. Like, God, thank you that I can do that. God, you are such a good God. You are such a loving father. Thank you that I am your child. 
That should be the posture of our hearts. Jesus says this in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 1 John 2, 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John three twenty four. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Friends, do you, do you obey the Lord? When you read the scriptures, do you obey what you see there? Jesus' call to repent and believe. The call to love your neighbor as yourself. The call to make disciples of all nations. The call to love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, uh, encourage one another. Confess your sin. I mean, do do you do those things? Those things are to be done not out of guilt and not out of pride, but out of gratitude. God, as as you confess your sin before the Lord, it is a reminder that God is God. He is a loving Father who loves you. You are his child. Confess your sin with that kind of joy and eager expectation. When you love one another and serve one another and pray for one another, and when you seek to make disciples of all nations, and when you are generous to your neighbor, those are all acts of worship as a response because you know your identity is secure because of the work of Jesus. So here's a few things I want us to think practically as we wrap this up. We want to remember who we are in light of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And we want to live in obedience. And friends, I want us, this is not to be done alone. This is the, we are a family of faith no matter where you are in the spectrum of faith. If you were a veteran believer for 50 years or you're a new believer or a not yet believer or a seeker, doubter, skeptic, non-believer, I want us to gather and worship and look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. We open the scriptures and say, God, by your grace, will you give me understanding and may I apply it? But you, you don't do it alone. Do it in community. We, we God, that's why we get here on Sunday mornings instead of just podcasting some. There's a preacher's better than me all over the world, man. You can podcast anybody, but, but, but there's something about being together in worship where we experience the grace of God differently and we can apply it to our lives differently as a worshiping community together, as a community who gathers in missional community, as a community who, who connects. We call them DNA groups, discipleship, nurture, and accountability a few of you guys are doing this really well. Some of us are, are still having a hard time connect. Man, talk, talk to whoever your MC leader is or any of the leaders here you trust. We want to get you connected with other men or women accordingly to help you sharpen your faith because of your identity, okay? Friendships, serving together, just being together. Eating together. Have lunch with somebody. Come back for our member potluck tonight and bring something besides a bag of ice. Bring some food. I love this church. We have like 10 bags of ice and then like a bag of chips. We're like, this is a feast. It's a gospel feast. Pass me another cup of ice. I'll call dibs on the ice, by the way. So as a time of response, I want to ask us all to do this. I asked you before, if you find your identity somewhere else other than God, if you do, I want you to repent of that right now. And then believe the gospel that your identity is in Christ because of who he is and what he's done for you. 
that in Christ you are a loved son and daughter of God. If you are here today and you know the truths about the gospel, but you think that your awesome resume is securing your identity, I want you to repent of that pride and recognize that you are a child of God because of the grace of God and the work of Christ. Just repent of that. When we repent and we believe that's an act of obedience, that's an act of celebration, that's an act of worship, that's an act of trusting who God is and what he said he's going to do. So as we have a time of response, the musicians will come back up and lead us in music, and I invite you to respond by reflecting, by praying, by worshiping, through singing, through music. Uh, We have a giving basket in the back. If you were part of the ministry of redemption and and are led uh, by the Spirit to give, that is where you do it. If you are a believer, we have before you... uh, we celebrate communion every Sunday. It's a, represent, it's a way for us to remember who Christ is and what he's done for us. It's a proclamation. It's an act of worship. It's also a reflection of identity because we do it together where we tear off the bread and dip it in the wine or juice. The bread represents Christ's broken body and the wine or juice represents the blood of Christ for your shed for your forgiveness. The Lord Jesus on the night of his arrest took bread And after giving thanks to God, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to your people throughout all generations. And God, we thank you for the cross of Christ by which we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Lord, I thank you that we can gather and worship you through singing, through prayer, through reading, through communion, through your word. And God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would shape us now, that you would change us. God, that you would convict us of sin, whether that be sin of, of commission, by we're, we're actively doing reckless things or sins of omission by we're not doing what you have commanded us to do. God, if we see our identity elsewhere other than you, God, convict us of that and have us lean into Jesus. And God, if we think that in pride that we have done something to secure our identity, Lord, I pray that you humble us and have us respond with uh, gratitude and worship toward you. Lord, I pray that you shape us all as individuals, as men and women. Shape us as married couples and families. Shape us as friends and and a community gathered together as a church. God, I pray that you would do amazing things in our midst by your spirit, that you would do these things for your glory and our joy. And God, that in so doing, the nations would come to know the good name of Jesus. God, that the gospel would ripple out from our lives to the areas of influence and work and school and family and neighborhood, to our children and our children's children, to the city and out to the world. God, I pray that you do these things for your glory and our joy. In Christ's name, amen.